Hey gang, Rick Lee James here. I just wanted to remind you as we begin today's podcast that my new live album and DVD, Basement Psalms Live, is available at rickleejames.com. You can also get it for a limited time as a digital download at getmopix.com. That's G-E-T-M-O-P-I-X.com. Only $5.99 for the full, uncut, digital concert. You can watch it right on your mobile device from getmopix.com. Make sure to stop by rickleejames.com for more information on everything pertaining to my ministry, my music, what's going on in my life. Thanks for listening to Voices in My Head podcast, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. Voices in my head, episode number 82. I'm Rick Lee James and I am your host. It is a hot one outside today. I have to say it's one of those days that you step outside and the humidity makes you feel like you're going to swim because it's just so sticky and wet. Uh, It's so hot today that my wife actually in the school where she teaches, they actually let her have early release today because they don't have air conditioning in the building. But right now I am down in the nice cool basement in the Voices in My Head recording studio and I am happy to be down here today. Uh, I'm also happy because my guest today is a great author. His name is Timothy Curick. We had a great conversation just a few minutes ago, which I'm going to be playing for you here momentarily. Timothy wrote a book that is quite controversial, and uh, it's called The Cross in the Closet. And uh, the, the reason it's called that is because he did an experiment, even though he is a straight man, that for one year he was going to live the life of a gay person. So he came out of the closet to his family, to his friends, his church members, and uh, only one, I guess two people, if I recall right from the book when I read it, knew um, that he was doing this as an experiment to see how people were treated whenever this happened, and uh, and it actually showed him a lot about how to love as Christ and, uh, and how our stereotypes um, they they are they ring out on both sides: conservative, liberal, gay, straight. We all have them against each other, and uh, somewhere in the midst of this, I think all of us Christians are asking difficult questions and wondering how can we love like Jesus. So I had a great time talking with Tim just a few minutes ago. I really enjoyed reading the book. I read it this summer while I was out in some of my travels. It's a book that will stretch you. Uh, And even though you may not personally agree with uh, many things in the book, uh, or you may, I don't know, you may find that you're just right on par with all of it, uh, I recommend it to you because it is a book that will stretch you. And any book that teaches us how to love each other well and love each other like Christ is a good one for us to turn to. So I want to thank Tim again for being on the show today. I was just looking through an old hymnal that I had, and I wanted to start with this. There's a song called Return to God. Um, the book is called We Celebrate, and uh, I, I think it's an old Catholic hymnal, actually. I found it at the library. Um, it's all just, you know, um, a one melody line, and like a lead sheet, and there's no uh, other... Um, parts or anything so no frills to it but the words are fantastic and I wanted us to start with this today as we go into today's interview the uh, the song is called return to God it's an old hymn um, 
And it says, The words are, Return to God with all your heart, the source of grace and mercy. Come seek the tender faithfulness of God. Now the time of grace has come, the day of salvation. Come and learn now the way of our God. I will take your heart of stone and place a heart within you, a heart of compassion and love. If you break the chains of oppression, if you set the prisoner free, if you share your bread with the hungry, give protection to the lost, give a shelter to the homeless, clothe the naked in your midst, then your light shall break forth like the dawn. And in returning to God and doing our best to do as it said, to set the prisoner free, to loose the chains of oppression, um, to feed the hungry, to protect the lost, um, Timothy has a lot to say about being in a, a place that I guess he would probably describe it as a lost place because, um, well, you're just, you're just going to hear from him being uh, able to talk during uh, the interview today in his story. And, um, and I don't mean lost like lost and bound for hell. I mean lost like literally wondering uh, where to get your footing, where to find your place to stand. And maybe that's actually what we mean by lost many times. So uh, it's been a, it was a good conversation and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. So without any further hesitation, here is my conversation with Timothy Curick, the author of The Cross in the Closet, here on Voices in My Head. Timothy Curick, raised within the confines of a strict conservative Christian denomination in the Bible Belt, Nashville, Tennessee, was taught the gospel of separation from a young age. But it wasn't long before Timothy's path and the outside world converged when a friend came out as a lesbian and revealed she had been excommunicated by her family. Distraught and overcome with questions and doubts about his religious upbringing, Timothy decided the only way to empathize was to understand her pain, was to walk in the shoes of the very people he had been taught to shun. He decided to come out as a gay man to everyone in his life and to see for himself how the label of gay would impact his life. In the tradition of Black Like Me, The Cross in the Closet is a story about people, a story about faith and about one man's abominable quest to find Jesus in the margins. Timothy Curick, welcome to Voices in My Head today. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, man. I am really uh, excited to, to speak with you today because I had a chance to read your book this summer. I was out doing some travels, and I was actually leading music for a couple of uh, different church camps this summer. And uh, I was intrigued to read the book, and I really enjoyed it. So first of all, I, I just want to say thanks for writing such a compelling book and uh, and giving us such a good conversation piece. Oh, yeah. Thanks for reading it. I really Really appreciate people that <laughs> that take the time. Sure. Now, I believe are are you in Washington right now? Yes, I'm in Tacoma, Washington. Tacoma, right Washington. But you're uh, originally from way back, and at the time of writing this book, you were actually in Nashville, Tennessee, right? Yes, sir. That's fantastic. So we we have both uh, lived in Nashville. I actually went to college at Trevecca University there in Nashville. <laughs> okay, yeah, I've got some friends that went there. Excellent. Well, uh, it's it's really great to have you on the show today, and I'd love for you to, to tell us a little bit about this experiment, uh, but maybe before we do that, you could just kind of tell us some of your background. I know in the book you talk some about uh, your conservative upbringing and a, a pretty strict uh, church, and just maybe kind of what it was like for you in the environment growing up. Absolutely. I uh, I was part of a denomination or 
I wouldn't say denomination is the right word, but a, a group of churches that was so conservative, um, we thought that Jerry Falwell and the Southern Baptists were liberal. <laughs> uh, wow. So to give you an idea of, of where I came from, uh, it was a hymns-only conservative church, um, very uh, strict in their theology, uh, very, um, you know, be in the world but not of the world sure. uh, kind of mentality. And so my life, you know, was was always centered around youth group and, and uh, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night churches and Bible studies and all these different things, but um, all within the sphere of this one particular church or these uh, these few churches, um, and we were just taught to be separate from everything else that was going on. So yeah, it was a it was a really interesting um, kind of closed off um, island of a church, hmm. and uh, that's that's why I think the um, uh, I'm so lucky right now to to have realized how vast and big this planet is and uh, the people in it uh, that's made me appreciate it a lot more hmm. that's really interesting to hear and uh, that's you know that's not actually a um, a common background that a lot of people understand I, I guess I would say thankfully in some ways because wh- while there is um, that is hopefully a, a smaller number of the conservative church w- world it seems like when you're in it it seems like it's the only church you know <laughs> and uh, oh yeah absolutely yeah so it, it it's interesting to hear that background and just to kind of hear where you have come from so it goes without saying but but why don't you go ahead and tell us how uh, you were taught to perceive homosexuals growing up in that very strict very probably uh, close knit community well, um, you know, my my parents never really talked about homosexuals or homosexuality. Uh, my dad is a classical composer in Nashville, wow. and um, and teaches at a college there. And he has always had um, a lot of uh, gay coworkers um, or you know lesbian coworkers, and so he's always been friends with them. So they, they didn't teach me this anti-gay rhetoric, uh, but the church absolutely did in, in the high school that I went to in Whites Creek, Tennessee, Pioneer Christian Academy. They, um, you know, th- there was always this laced kind of venomous undercurrent when it came to the, the homosexual agenda and, you know, how they're taking over the world and trying to take over marriage and steal marriage away from us and all of this ridiculous conspiracy-driven kind of rhetoric. Hmm. <laughs> and I bought it lock, stock, and barrel. I was totally sold to the idea that everything that they were telling me was the truth and that it was my job to fight, you know, that... that uh <laughs> The attack, you know, I was, yeah. I was um, kind of unlike my brother. I was bound to be, you know, uh, loud and out there with whatever it is I believed, you know, regardless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of got that um, crazy baby brother, you know, kind of uh, 
youngest sibling mentality. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, uh, I and then when I went on to college, I, I met up with or had a gay rights group protesting, and I write about this in the book. Um, and they um, they got caught the the worst, you know, from me mm-hmm. that uh, you know I could have possibly dished out. So. I just thought it was my it was my mentality that I it was my job to save the world and to convert anybody and everybody, especially the capital you know capital S sinners that were you know homosexual. Hmm. Very very interesting to hear that. It and it is you know I I can can relate on on some level to that kind of an upbringing. And it seemed like, you know, we were always being told, um, you know, I don't always remember the exact source, but just that whole idea that, you know, the world is <clears throat> trying under an assault and trying to be taken over and things. And, and we're we're not at our best as believers when we're on the defensive. I, I really believe that to be true. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, when the gospel of grace and, and love is with open arms, it really is quite a contrast to, you know, stay away from me, you know, type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so that's that's very interesting to hear that part of your background. So maybe you could tell us a little bit because um, this experiment, and in case listeners you haven't had a chance to read the book, the book we're talking about again is is Cross in the Closet, and um, it reminds me a little bit of a book I read a few years ago by A.J. Jacobs called The Year of Living Biblically. I yeah. uh, really enjoyed that book from the standpoint of he was an agnostic that decided. Uh, even though he wasn't really a part of any faith tradition, he had some Judaism in his background, he was going to live for a year as strictly as he could by the Bible. And um, and, it, and it led to some pretty humorous things, but it kind of reminded me a little bit, and I think you even made reference in the book, in your book about that, um, just kind of the way that you decided to do this experiment. So um, tell us a little bit about your experience that you talk about in your book and, and what led you to this experiment. Absolutely. Well, first off, I'll say that uh, AJ is wildly talented. Uh, I met up with him when I was in New York protesting uh, during the, the the experiment. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, he's a really great guy. Um, he also mentored a kid that uh, ended up writing a book called The Unlikely Disciple named Kevin Ruse, hmm. which is another book he really did. But... Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I uh, I was pacing back and forth outside this karaoke bar um, that I had started going to with a friend, and um, Springwater, you, you might be familiar, next to Centennial Park oh. in Nashville. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I had really fallen into this little odd community of people. It was the first time I had gotten involved with a community outside the church. And, you know, what better kind of group outside the church could you possibly get tangled up with than a, you know, a bunch of raucous people that sing karaoke and drink, you know, <laughs> picture after picture of, of cheap beer, you know. So, uh, you know, it was a, a really great place. And I met this young lady uh, and we had become, uh, friends and, you know, we'd see each other at karaoke. She'd been there for about six or seven weeks, um, in a row. So she was kind of just starting to really get her feet wet in it. 
And uh, she pulled me outside one night and asked me how I could possibly be a Christian. And before I had the chance to muster up a defense or answer what she said, thank God, um, she broke down crying. Hmm. And she just kind of collapsed in my arms and told me that she had just come out to her parents and had been brutally disowned. Uh, that her her dad said that he wasn't going to uh, support a faggot daughter, and her mom said, come back when you're fixed. Wow. And uh, my response to it um, wasn't vocally venomous like theirs, but I was very um, put off by what she told me, that she was a lesbian, and, um, you know, probably a little bit, uh, picked off too because I had a crush on her but um, <laughs> but yeah I I just completely stopped listening I started thinking about those um, you know scripture references that I knew that I you know that I had always been taught uh, talk about homosexuality and trying to get her to go to some ex-gay therapy or get, you know, more involved in a church, or what What could I say to possibly um, take her off the road that she was traveling down so she could get her family back and be a, a normal person again. Hmm. And uh, she left before I could say any of that, which is also something I'm thankful for. And at that point, as soon as she left, I felt like I had this um, kind of spiritual gut check uh, this aha moment where the light bulb came on and I realized that the voice inside my head telling me that I needed to talk to this girl and try to convert her and try to change her, uh, especially in that moment, was not God. That that was two decades spent in the hyper-conservative Christian church that I had been raised in. And, um, and that was a really huge moment, but when I'm I'm sitting there, you know, it's June, I'm outside, I'm sweating profusely because it's, you know, 95 degrees and 8,000% humidity during, you know, during the summer. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I remember that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. So I live in the Pacific Northwest now. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I I was standing there and my eyes were, were you know, singing because of the sweat and... And I was just exasperated. I felt I had, uh, I had just betrayed this precious girl that my, what I should have done in that moment was be there, be present with her and hold her and cry with her and love her. Hmm. And that would have been what Jesus would have really done if he had been there, not try to tell her, you know, she was an abomination. Hmm. And, uh, I started realizing that I that that voice inside my head was uh, really deeply entrenched in me, and it was part of me, and I needed to get rid of it. I needed to kill that voice. So the only thing I could do to possibly shock myself out of that um, mentality was to put myself in my friend's shoes, so I could like understand that that tangible fear that she hmm. experienced that I could see in her eyes um, about coming out and what, what I was even going to say. Hmm. So, yeah, long story short, I uh, 
I made the decision that night, and I felt this conviction that I needed to walk a mile in the shoes of the people I had been taught to hate all my life to see what they go through when they have to deal with people like I was, hmm. and um, and to, to let it test my beliefs. And so on in January of 2009, I came out as gay to my family, friends, and church, even though I'm completely straight. Hmm. Well, that's a, you know, as as I read that, a couple things came to my mind. Um, there was a, a few years back when I was youth pastoring, and uh, a young lady who was in my youth group uh, wanted to meet with myself and, and one other adult leader. And uh, I remember her just trembling, and it took her probably 20 minutes to tell us she was gay. And oh, wow. uh, she was she was terrified. And uh, the reason she was terrified was the church she had been at before had told her pretty much what you said your friend's family had told her. Said, you know, don't don't come back until you're fixed or, you know, don't change. And, and I remember the only response that we could think of in that moment was, you know, first we're thinking we'd better be very careful the next step we take here, you know, with this very yeah. fragile person. And uh, and I remember me and the other adult leader just kind of came around here and said, you know what, we love you and we want to be here to walk with you and help you. And and I hadn't always reacted that way. That was just one moment. But but I remember that kind of trembling and and uh, yeah. and wondering myself, like what I wonder what what she must be going through, you know. And yeah. and one thing that I really uh, found just captivating as I read your book um, was as you were describing you were going through the very same steps um, that homosexuals often uh, go through when they go through this, and almost in a way that you were entering kind of incarnationally into, um, you know, this identity that that you weren't a part of before. And, and so it's very fascinating. And, and I'll quit talking and let you talk some more, but it just kind of reminded me of that. Um, but I hadn't, until I read your book, I guess, thought a lot about what it must be like, say if um, if things were inverse, say if we lived in a world where the majority of people uh, were homosexuals, and what if I was one of the very few straight people, you know, in the world, and I had to pretend that I liked men, you know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and so that's sort of what, what your book does, and what you kind of did. Um, so tell us if you could, because I mean that's just a whole other perspective that that I don't think any of us, unless unless we've been there, could relate to. What was it like talking to your your family, to your church, and and your friends, and how did they react to you? And and you you don't have to give away any more than you want. Obviously, we want people yeah. to read the book. But <laughs> oh yeah, um, you know, the first thing I'll say is that um, I had as close to an authentic experience of coming out and, and and going through those things as a straight person is able to. But what I went through is still nothing compared to what the average uh, gay or lesbian, bisexual or transgender individual goes through. Because most of the people that you'll talk to who are gay or lesbian will tell you, especially if they've been raised in religious homes, will tell you that they spent um, countless nights as as children even, praying that God would take this burden away from them or take this attraction away from them because they were so afraid of the social ramifications of what they were hearing and then what they were actually living inside their, their mind. 
and and who they are. So this it's this identity crisis, um, not an identity crisis in that they are unhappy with uh, with themselves intrinsically, but unhappy knowing what their identities, uh, the waves that their identities will cause in their religious families and their churches and stuff like that. Hmm. And, and so what I experienced, like I said, was as much as a straight person has ever been able to experience or ever could. Um, but it's nothing compared to to the pain and the heartache and, uh, you know, the, the, you know, extreme emotions and stuff that, that, uh, an authentically gay person will, will be able to tell you about. So the best person to talk to obviously is to, is, is a gay or lesbian individual sure. and to, to learn about their lives. But that being said, um, I, um, I never realized that when I came out, uh, you know, I, I thought prior to the experiment beginning that I was going to be lectured a bunch by a lot of people. The thing that I never realized was that I was just going to be cut off as though dead by the vast majority of people in my life. And uh, Dr. King said, it's in the end, it's not the words of our enemies will remember, but the silence of our friends. And and that silence was absolutely deafening. You know, I I lost instantaneously... 95, at least 95% of my friends who just, once they heard through the grapevine, and they, they always hear things through the grapevine, hmm. um, you know, they, I, it was no phone calls, no text messages, no Facebook messages, no invites for coffee or dinner or to go see a movie on Friday night, none of that stuff. It just hmm. instantly was as though I was dead. And, and that isolation was just, a, it, was, it was crushing. It was absolutely crushing. So then you you pack on on top of that isolation the iceberg the tip of the iceberg which is the the people who do come forward and and do sit back and try to rebuke you for your quote unquote decision not a, you know as my as my pastor uh, wrote me um, this is a uh, a decision not a gene you know better you need to get into counseling hmm. uh, so you know you're dealing with um, outright rejection, and then on top of that, these smug, self-righteous people who, yeah, while they believe what they're saying is the truth, don't even stop and think for a second how maybe they should even phrase what they're saying. And and I was, I am I'm the, the chief of sinners in that regard, and, you know, I did the exact same thing countless times with my mm. gay friends sure. um, or gay people that I was trying to convert prior to the to the experiment beginning. So, yeah, it, it was uh, telling the, uh, talking to people at church or talking to people, um, you know, in, from my old schools or, or just in general in the community about it. It was, it was as though I had this, you know, scarlet letter pinned to my chest hmm. and everybody knew and I was never looked at the same way again because of three letters and one syllable. Hmm. Uh, and in the Bible Belt South, that's you know kind of typical uh, for what uh, LGBT folks experience. Yeah, I I can't imagine the the feeling of isolation and and how hard that must be. I mean, I I really 
uh, I really do feel uh, for people that have had to go through that. And uh, it, it's interesting to me, when I was reading in your book, something that I really hadn't thought too much about, and I probably should have uh, before, but it was interesting how um, when you really started finding your place within the gay community and started developing relationships and friends, I was amazed at how many people, it seemed like they were constantly asking you, are you okay? And if, if memory serves, you had said in the book it was because the suicide rate is so high for people who had just come out of the closet because of the loneliness, the isolation, the way that everything, um, you know, kind of crumbles down on or, them. And, or because they're in the closet and can't come out and can't be authentically themselves. And um, and they're, they're faced with the decision, do I go on living a lie or do I, or do I uh, take my life? Hmm. And a lot of times... Uh, I never contemplated, and I've never contemplated suicide. But uh, you know, I, I I got a glimpse into the closet and and what how crushing and lonely it is, and and I understand now why a lot of people do. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just your your um, pardon the expression, but you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You know. Hmm. There's no, it's not a, there's no win-win situation. It's it's a lose-lose situation. And thankfully things are coming around and, and we live in a culture that's progressing out of a lot of those things. But, hmm. but in the meantime, there are a lot of casualties and those are casualties we can't afford to lose. Yes, and as I think even about this conversation, I think about, you know, uh, in my church, I, I know how, how most people are, uh, are going to feel on the issue but again we've been we've been so trained you know like like you had talked about it seems like to you know oh they're going to take over the world they're this they're that all these untrue statements about them that are just blanket statements that would be untrue about any group of people if you yeah. took them as a whole yeah. and and it really Absolutely. made me it really made me think like wow we've really got our work cut out for us as believers as far as representing Jesus in the midst of of what these people are going through and entering into people's suffering and pain and um and and I I wanted to to talk real quick cuz I I do want people to to read your book but there's yeah. a couple places in the book that that just really stood out to me one because today on Yahoo um, Westboro Baptist Church was in the news again with Vince Gill. I don't know if you saw that in the headline or not. I heard something about it, but I didn't. I didn't see what. Yeah, they had. Uh, they, they apparently were protesting a Vince Gill concert in Nashville uh, because he had been divorced and remarried, and his wife Amy Grant had been divorced, and they were remarried, and it's been like 13 years or something, and. I saw the video and he came out to talk to him and and they were very unreasonable and and he said you know I just came because I wanted to see what hatred looked like you know I wanted to look hatred yeah. in the face and and I know that in your book you talk about you actually made a trip to Westboro and and uh, there was kind of an interesting phone call even leading up to that and I would yeah. you be willing to share any of your experience uh, oh, yeah. with the Westboro people? Yeah, first of all, you know, for the Christians that listen. Um, the zip code for Westboro for Topeka in, in that part of Topeka is six 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 zero four, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I went out to Kansas City. Uh, I've got family out there over Christmas, and it was at the uh, very end of my experiment, and I had learned a lot and experienced a lot. But I w- I really wanted to go out there and and see if I could 
engage them at least in a conversation just to see, you know, at that point, if there was any way for me to be able to love them. And I had uh, called uh, Westboro. They, they post their number all over the place on the Internet, so you can call them. And instantly when you call, they're skeptical. They think they're getting a hate call. But I called and, and talked to them right as one of the uh, new little like children was being born. I guess it would be, geez, almost five by now. Um, seems like uh, forever ago. But I talked to Shirley, uh, Fred Phelps' daughter, Shirley Phelps Roper, and, and she can be, you know, as cantankerous and, and you know, rude and, and abrasive as you ever see her uh, when you listen to an interview or on a, on a TV interview. Um, I was able to get her to laugh and to kind of loosen up a little bit, just joking around with her and, and trying to be kind to her. And when I and went and, and this visited, was over the phone, right? When you, yeah, this was over the phone. Okay, sure. So they, yeah, they invited, she invited me. She said I was more than welcome to come check out a service. So I decided I was going to take her up on that night. I took my aunt's car and drove, uh, over to, from Kansas City, Missouri over to Topeka and, um, kind of scared the whole way. I didn't know if it was going to be kind of like that Kevin Smith movie, Red State, where they were going to yeah. lock me up and torture me or something. <laughs> but um, I went into and saw this huge compound, you know, it's big, fenced in compound because they had been uh, bombed. They had a bomb go off. Oh, wow. Uh, at, at their church. And so they had all, they all their security and stuff. And I went in and, and, uh, was met by some women with their heads covered, and I thought, you know, <laughs> my first thought was, hey, they're, they're, you know, they say they're conservative, they're covering their heads, you know, wow, they really are, you know. And then they started cussing at me for no reason within wow. 10, 15 seconds, uh, calling me a child of Satan. And I was like, hey, you guys invited me, you know, this is, <laughs> this is, uh, ridiculous. And, um, and they obviously didn't let me come in, and uh, I didn't get to talk to Shirley or anybody the way I'd wanted to. Um, but as I was walking out, I saw this uh, their their sign, their marquee, you know, Westboro Baptist Church with service signs and stuff. And somebody had spray painted in red spray paint. I saw the picture: uh, "God hates the Phelps." Hmm. And I I had this kind of a, another kind of light bulb aha moment that. No, God doesn't hate the Phelps, and hmm. that's why he's God, and we're human, and we're us. And in striving to be Christ-like, um, to even the people that are the most hateful like that, uh, we, we don't, we're not allowed to hate. Yeah. And we're not allowed to hate even them for what they do. Uh, we, we have to feel a, a profound empathy and a profound sadness for, for their lives and their experiences, and Thankfully, members of that family are splintering off. Uh, one of the daughters just left uh, and caused a big media storm and has been working with um, to undo the damage that she did while she was a part of that ministry. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was it was an interesting experience. And, and you know, yeah, I can, I can honestly say I agree with them to go. I, I, I got to see what hate looks like, but... But I didn't get to see it in their faces. I had to see it in my own when I looked in, looked in the mirror. Hmm. Very you know, interesting. And that's because all of us 
are guilty of hate and prejudice. Sure. All of us about one thing or another. And yeah, I know my, my beliefs theologically are a little bit more on the fringe, uh, outside of the mainstream kind of evangelical perspective on, on gay, but you know, I, I, I just wonder if when I get to heaven, if, if God is going to rebuke me for love trying to love people too much. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think he is. Well, and and it's interesting you say that because as I as I listen to the the whole conversation, and I think whether it be uh, homosexuals or we could put a a face on, say, the news right now with Syria, or you know the ones that are easy to pick on, like Westboro Baptist, and all the people that we would uh, you know in quotation marks put enemies, you know, and uh, and I think about. The, the teaching of Jesus is so clear. It's not to hate your enemies; it's to love them. And uh, and and so, regardless of who we are, and and one thing that I feel like you really bring out well in your book is, as followers of Christ, we must learn to love well, and we must learn to love even those that we would consider enemies. And uh, and I think it's it's very interesting in your book how people that were your friends turned out to maybe be not friends at all, you know, <laughs> and yeah, people yeah. that you had to learn to love in that way and uh, and how we really need the love of Christ to, I guess I would put it this way when people ask me, well, do you think gays need to change? And I say, well, yes, and I need to qualify that by saying so do heterosexual people because we all need to be changed in the light of the grace of God and the love of God. So. Yeah. Um, well, and that's one of the things that I experienced in my year was my I reached a point where I was totally comfort, comfortable in a gay bar and around gay people um, working as a, a barista in a gay cafe and that kind of thing. I uh, went back and tried to visit a church, and and it was a painful experience because I sat back judging everybody with the same immense prejudice uh, that I had before, but I had just shifted the object of my prejudice back to the church uh, instead of being prejudiced against the LGBT folks. And when I realized that I hadn't conquered my prejudice, I had just shifted the object of my prejudice, it was this eye-opening moment. Um I've, I, you know, it's funny because I've had, I've gotten thousands and thousands of emails from all over the world since the book came out last October, and mm. and the vast majority of people who highlight that particular kind of moment for me or revelation I had in the book about prejudice, and and say that that resonated with them and that they feel like they need to forgive and that they need to to be more loving. Are the are the gays and lesbians that have been brutally rejected by their Christian families, hmm. and they're the ones who have come out to me and said, "Thank you for helping us forgive our families and showing us, you know, that we were guilty of of hating them and that we needed to, to figure that out." It, it's just amazing how. We say that a community is so godless because of, you know, one little detail, yet time and time again, I've been, you know, in a a position where my jaw is dropped and I'm just hanging there with my mouth open, like, shocked 
that the fact that the people that I thought were the 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 pagans or the heathens are the ones that are the ones that acted most Christ-like to me hmm. in my life, or are acting the most Christ-like towards their, their families. Hmm. So if if you know coming from the mindset of of, of an even evangelical. Uh, if the gays are doing it better than the church is doing it, something's wrong, you know? Yeah. Uh, from, from my perspective, the marginalized always tend to uh, be a lot more nurturing and uh, take care of, of people, uh, you know, just because they're, they've been rejected, so they want to spare others that kind of pain, too. So, hmm. yeah, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a complex issue and and uh and the simple option and the simple answer the only simple one out there is just love don't judge love hmm. definitely well tim it has been a real pleasure i i want to thank you again for coming on voices in my head today and i i want to one more time just uh tell the listeners uh if you want a book that'll stretch you and one that'll help help you hopefully uh, in the light of Christ learn how to love everyone um, I want to recommend to you Tim's book The Cross in the Closet and that's that's Timothy Curick K-U-R-E-K and you can find it on Amazon and pretty much everywhere that good books are sold so uh, any other information that you would like the listeners to know today before we sign off of here oh yeah absolutely I'm uh, really accessible and engaged uh, online on Facebook. You go to facebook.com slash Timothy Curick, uh, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y-K-U-R-E-K, one word. Um, you can you can easily find me there, and, and I'd be glad to answer any questions. And right now we're working on the audio book of The Cross in the Closet. Um, the end, at, the, at the end of the audio book, we're going to have the first chapter from the follow-up book. I've gotten thousands of emails from people asking, well, what happened after the experiment? So (laughs) I'm writing a a quick follow-up just to let everybody know how things have moved forward and and what it's been like to to continue traveling down the road that the experiment started me on. So, uh, yeah, the, the audio books will probably be out by Christmas. The the follow-up book will probably be out by uh, late spring, early summer of next year. Well, great. Well, I hope you'll come back and talk with us again whenever that's complete. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Well, my guest has been Tim Keurig today. Tim, thank you again for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thank you for having me. Well, that about does it for this week here on Voices in My Head. Before I go, I want to let you know about something new here on the podcast. We are featuring some new products that help to keep the podcast on the air. We have had trouble raising funds for the podcast this year. A few of you have been faithful to give, and I really appreciate that, but we need a lot more help and support. It does cost several hundred dollars a year to keep the podcast on the air, and it's not a moneymaker. So allow me just a quick PBS moment where if you go to rickleejames.com, You will see featured there right now a link to our 
official Voices in My Head Tumblr. And by Tumblr, I don't mean that car that Batman drives in the Dark Knight movies. I mean uh, a Tumblr as in a pint glass. Uh, it's a clear pint glass, and on the side of it, it says, I hear Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. It also has our Twitter feed, which is at Rick Lee James. Uh, I encourage you, go. It's $14.99. Uh, normally $16 right now. We're running a special for $14.99. Uh, we don't keep most of that, but we keep some of it. So when you buy it, uh, you're actually helping to support the podcast, and you can enjoy a delicious cold beverage on a day like today. Or you can put a hot beverage in it, too. They're thick, they're sturdy, they're dependable. The Voices in My Head Tumblr. You'll also find several other products from the Voices in My Head store on Cafe Press. So go to rickleyjames.com, and you can help to support the podcast. Also want to let you know I do have some shows coming up, including on September 20th with Nick Flora. I'll be on the radio with him on th- at 3 o'clock on uh, Radio 100.7 FM here out of Springfield. They do have a website at weec.org. You can go there at 3 o'clock on the 20th of September and hear Nick and I live. If you're not local to the area, we're going to be playing a radio show that day. Uh, also have some other dates coming up, which you can find on the website. Also wanted to remind you to follow me on Twitter, at Rick Lee James, or on my new Daily Theology Twitter feed, which is at Daily underscore Theology. Every day I'll be putting up daily theological quotes. Uh, not necessarily by me, usually not by me. So uh, that's even more incentive for you to check it out. So thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Go to rickleyjames.com, grab yourself a tumbler, enjoy a delicious beverage. It'll make you feel like a man. Well, unless you're a woman. Uh, so enjoy. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. God bless. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.